listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. Send in your question or comment. To participate in the show, you can text or call 757-774-8482. Or to email the show, you can go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and send your question or comment there. We'll use it as part of the show. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the show. It's the Fret Files Podcast, the Guitar Tech Podcast. My name is Eric Daw. I'm a longtime guitar builder and repairman. Been at it for, oh my goodness, longer than I care to admit, I think over 30 years now. No co-host today. I'm flying solo, and uh, we're going to do a few questions. We're going to do some announcements, and uh, later in the show, I'm going to interview another guitar repairman, Austin, Texas-based Jim Glinsky. That's later in the show. We'll talk to Jim. But uh, first things first, a little bit of uh, guitar news for you. Guitar news. Yeah, a little bit of news for you. Uh, LMII, that's Luthiers Mercantile International Incorporated, uh, a uh, tool and uh, wood supplier for Luthiers all over the world is going out of business. They've announced that they're shutting their doors permanently. I don't know how long they've been in business. I, I know their website's been online since the 90s. I mean, they've been at this for decades, and it's sad, but uh, they are closing their doors permanently. This is an announcement from their uh, from their social media. It says, During the coming months, Luthiers Mercantile will be closing our doors permanently. Our owners are nearing retirement and have... Having explored other options, we've made the difficult decision to sail off into the proverbial sunset. As a result of this decision, we'll be selling off all our inventory and other assets. Expect to see some amazing deals in the days ahead. All sale items will appear on our website. If you have an interest in other assets or bulk purchases, please email. And it gives an email. I'll give it out. Chris at LMII.com. Needless to say, it, it goes on, needless to say, after serving the Luthery trade for so many decades, this was a difficult decision to arrive at. It's been a pleasure and an honor to help advance this noble craft and to assist with the creation of so many thousands of fine instruments. Along the way, we've made many friends. We will, of course, continue to provide the same great customer service that you've grown accustomed to. However, we'll occasionally ask for your patience as items go out of stock and as our employees shift roles to best help us meet our goals during these final days. There you go. They've only got a couple months. I'm guessing then by the end of the year, Luthier's Mercantile will be no more. So that's very sad, and I'm, I hate to see that happening, but, you know, what can you do? And uh, the other thing about it is watch their website for deals. It sounds like they're going to be blowing everything out. That's lmii.com. I 
think. Let me double check that. Is that right? L-M-I-I. Luthiers Mercantile International Incorporated. Yeah, it's L-M-I-I.com. So keep an eye out there because it sounds like they're going to be blowing everything out. You know, I do wonder... I do wonder how long they've been in business. Decades, for sure. For sure. I should try to get in touch with them and see if they want to... I mean, it wouldn't benefit their business much to do an interview at this point. They're closing, but it would be interesting to hear the company history and some of the stories along the way and hear more about their decision to close. I would be interested to hear about it, so I'm sure you would too. But that's the news with LMI. I always called it LMI. I guess it's LMII. Yeah. Anyway, that is the news. We've got a new sponsor for this month only. It's September 2023, and uh, this company is running a special for September. So they reached out to me, and they want they want uh, me to help promote it. So it sounded cool to me. Let me tell you about this. It's called Pickup Music. Pickup Music, it's an online guitar learning platform. So it's like online lessons, right? No, they don't sell guitar pickups. <laughs> Pickup Music provides a structured learning experience for modern styles. The platform and the learning pathways are designed specifically for intermediate and advanced guitarists. Over 40,000 guitarists have used the platform to improve their skills and reach their musical goals. Check it out, man. They got over a 1,000 lessons online for all different skill levels and all different styles, you know, modern to classical to classic rock to funk, jazz, guitar, blues, country, rock, whatever you want to play, man, they've got it all. A thousand plus lessons, and they've got some of the world's best guitar players and teachers. Get access to these step-by-step lessons from the world's best guitar teachers to up your guitar game with a pickup music membership starting at fourteen ninety nine a month. That is so cheap. You know, just one lesson is fifty bucks. This is this is access to thousands of lessons for fifteen dollars a month, and you can try it free with full access for fourteen days. You cancel any time. Every week they publish new guitar lessons, so you'll never get tired of their content. But this month, September twenty twenty three. They're rolling out an exciting guitar giveaway, and you can sign up. So if you sign up between September 1st and September 30th, you uh, if you sign up for a 14-day free trial of Pickup Music, your membership, you stand a chance to win a beautiful Ibanez guitar, an Ibanez AZE-S40. The best part is no purchase is even required to enter. You can sign up for the free trial, and cancel if you want. This special offer is exclusively for new members and is available to U.S. residents only. And, of course, terms and conditions apply. You can check the website for details. But it sounds like a very good deal. You can sign up for free, cancel anytime, and you are enrolled to win a brand new guitar. So there you go. Pick up music. Check them out at pickupmusic.com. All right, let's read a question, shall we? Read myself a question. This is from listener Nick. It says, Hey, Eric, I'm a huge fan of the podcast, and I've learned so much. I'm in the process of making a Tele-style guitar, and I've decided that I'd love to put a set of your pickups in this build. But I don't know much about pickups other than 
I like what I like without really knowing the why behind it. Magnet profile, output, etc. I'm hoping you can help me select the best set from your website based on the following. My style is mostly blues rock, southern rock, traditional electric blues. My main amp is a Marshall 40 watt, though I do sometimes use an ABY box to blend in a Vox 10 watt amp. I use very few pedals, but almost always use a clean boost with single coils. I have a tube screamer for dirt, an analog man king of tone for overdrive on one side, and I have the other side set a little dirty for variety. I'm the proud owner of a signed copy of your Solid Sound book. Hey, how about that? Your Solid Sound schematics book, and I plan to use the four-way pinup schematic for no other reason than it just seems like it would be really cool and way different than anything I already have. I, too, am a believer in great pickups combined with great amps to get the tone I want. I've also heard you mention that your pickups are not particularly at their best when used with high gain. I'm not really concerned with that as I rarely play set up that way. So the question is this. Based on the above, which of your T-style pickups sets would you recommend? Thanks so much. That's from Nick. Well, Nick. You know, if yeah, if, if you want to try out my pickups, that's great. My pickups don't vary much. I mean, I'll do underwound, standard wind, or overwound, but, um, you know, I really, I recommend standard wind. I mean, they're standard for a reason, right? I aim for about 7,000 ohms on a set of T-style pickups, and uh, the only the only real um, question I would have is, uh, whether or not you would want staggered or uh, flat poles. I recommend standard pole pieces usually, especially if you've got a seven and a quarter inch radius, because that radius is is um, pretty round compared to the flatter, you know, ten and twelve inch radiuses. And so those middle pole pieces are raised on a staggered pole piece, you know, on the bridge pickup, and that gets the uh, the D and the G strings to cut through better than a flat pole uh, magnet pickup. In my opinion, the neck pickups are always identical. They don't, you don't do staggered pole on tele neck pickups because they have that cover on them. Right. But, uh, if you're going to use a seven and a quarter inch radius, I'd recommend staggered magnets and probably I'd recommend staggered magnets anyway, but flat magnets are, are certainly okay, uh, if that's what you prefer. Um, standard wind, maybe a little overwound, you know, if you, if you, if you like, um, you know, cutting, searing hot pickups, uh, all the other options really are just cosmetic aging. I, I, you know, I relic the pickups or the color of string wrap. That's just cosmetics, man. Also, um, the other option to consider is neck mount on the uh, neck pickup. It depends on the pickguard you're using. So on some tele-style guitars, the pickup mounts to the pickguard, and on on others, the pickup mounts to the wood under the pickguard. So just depending on what kind of pickguard you're going to use, then you would uh, select either pickguard mount or wood mount. But really, you know, my pickups are pretty uniform. I kind of just make the same pickups over and over and over and over again because I really like the way they sound. Now, you did mention uh, that you've heard me say 
that they don't work well with high gain. That's because I tend to make my pickups just slightly microphonic. Now, I like that. And I've, the reason I like that is I've, I've worked on hundreds of vintage Telecasters and almost all of them are like that. Like if you, if you plug in a fifties or sixties Telecaster and knock on the body with the amp up, you'll hear a loud audible knock through the amp. That doesn't often happen with modern guitars. Those old guitars are, are pretty microphonic, and uh, I kind of did a lot of back in engineering and research to figure out why, and I've tried to re- reproduce that in the pickups I make because I like that property. You know, if, if a pickup is slightly microphonic, then not only is it reproducing the magnetic properties of the string, the electromagnetic properties of the string, but also the overall acoustic properties of the instrument. I mean, if you're knocking on the guitar and you hear it through the amp then the the vibrations of the strings that are making the wood vibrate, that gets amplified too. So I like slightly microphonic pickups. If you're going to be just raging distortion, they're going to feed back. So I don't recommend my pickups for, for guys who use a lot of distortion. I really don't. Um, but I almost never get any complaints because I don't think guys who use a lot of distortion are going to be ordering my pickups anyway. It's just not what I do. It's not my wheelhouse, man. So, anyway, thanks for the question. I do appreciate it. You know, speaking of pickups and schematics and such, uh, you may recall that uh, Andy in Daniloquin, Australia, recommend or requested a specific schematic, and listener Jim uh, actually sketched it out. Well... I've redrawn it so that it's easy to read, and I've got it posted on the Fret Files podcast Instagram page. So if you want to see that and try it out, check it out at the Fret Files Instagram page. However, I will warn you, it's not tested as of yet. So it's just a sketch that, in theory, will work. What I'm hoping is, you know, well... I'm going to test it out when I get a chance. The next time I'm wiring up a guitar uh, for myself or one of my customs for sale, I'm going to test it out. That may be a few weeks. In the meantime, if any of you want to test it out, I'd send you a free book if you uh, test it out and report back to me on whether it worked or not. So let me know. You can find that schematic over at uh, the uh, Fret Files Instagram page. I will also post it on the um, on the show notes as well. Now, please disregard the... Uh, I used just a blank schematic to draw that, and I think that it says tone pot above, the, uh, above one of the pots. There is no tone control on that schematic. It's not a tone pot. It's a blend pot. But it's just a boilerplate blank schematic that I used to draw that up, and it already said tone pot on it. And I just forgot to change that to say blend. But there is no tone capacitor. There is no tone pot on that schematic. It's a blend pot. But check it out. Try it out if you want. If you do try it out, send me an email or give me a call and let me know how it went because I'd love to know. All right, let's read another question. Eric, love the show. Thank you. 
I learn a lot, and I've decided that I want to try soldering. What solder and what soldering iron do you recommend that I should get for starting up? That's from Jim in Florida. All right, Jim. Well, I tell you what. I use a uh, a Weller soldering iron. It's a soldering station. I think the model... Let me look it up here. <laughs> it's a digital adjustable temperature soldering iron station, and it is a WE-101. It ranges in temperature from 200 degrees to 850 degrees, and it has an automatic shutoff in case you leave it on. It's got a standby mode. It's got a digital readout for the temperature. It's a good soldering iron. I really like it. Um, You know, you need that high temperature sometimes, like if you're going to solder a ground wire to a Telecaster bridge pickup base plate, or when you're soldering the wire that goes to the back of a strut, the tremolo claw. You know, the old-fashioned pencil uh, soldering irons just won't cut it. They just don't get hot enough. And people... I, you know, struggle sometimes for years with soldering, not knowing that it's really their tools that are inadequate, not their skills. So you got to have the right tools. That Weller uh, soldering station, I think you can pick it up for 120 130 bucks, something like that. And did he, also, did he ask what kind of solder I use? I use Kester uh, lead-free solder. Uh, let me look it up here. Kester Lead Free Solder. And uh, you can get it just in a spool. I'm seeing it. Uh, you can get a big, fat spool of it for for maybe 30 bucks, you know. But you want to use it. You want to make sure it's specifically for electronics, so it'll have rosin core. So lead-free rosin core Kester uh, solder is what I use. And it comes in different diameters, but I just get the thin, pretty thin stuff. That's what I use. Good luck. And uh, let's take a little break. We'll be right back with more. After these messages, we'll be right back. This episode of the Fret Files podcast is brought to you by Apex Coffee Roasters. At Apex, they believe coffee's quality and uniqueness starts and ends well before it reaches their facility. That is why they meticulously source all of their coffees from around the globe to find the highest possible quality. They work with importers and farmers to guarantee fair purchasing costs throughout the entire supply chain. Apex Coffee knows that it is the diligent craftsmanship and artistry of producers all over the world who make great coffee a reality. Roasting the coffee is a necessity to unlock all the aromas and flavors we all enjoy in our coffee cups. Exactly how a coffee is roasted is the greatest influence on how it will ultimately taste. The goal at Apex Coffee is simply to reveal the coffee's natural flavors and showcase all the producer's hard work. Let me tell you, they're experts at that. You'll taste it in every cup, and you'll be amazed at how affordable it is. Check them out at apexcoffeeroasters.com and use my promo code PINUP at checkout. That's P-I-N-U-P to get 10% off your purchase. They even have monthly subscriptions available so that you will never run out of the best coffee you can buy. That's apexcoffeeroasters.com. And tell them that Eric at the Fret Files Podcast sent you. Get ready for the taste of Apex Coffee. You know PlayersGearMusic.com is the go-to place 
for neck heating irons or neck presses. We've been telling you about that for a long time, but you should really check out his effects pedals. Go to playersgearmusic.com. Rick over there makes custom guitar pedals, and he makes all kinds. They're so unique. Check them out. Uh, Distortion pedals, boosts, fuzz pedals, and sometimes they're in really unique um, containers. Sometimes they're uh, painted wild. you got to check it out. Playersgearmusic.com. While you're there, look up the neck heating irons that he sells. It's the only place on earth that I'm aware of you can still buy one, and it's essential. It's essential in my shop. I use mine all the time. Playersgearmusic.com. Check it out. Well, joining me on the phone is Texas-based luthier Jim Glinski. Jim's been doing acoustic and electric repairs for almost 35 years. He's originally from Connecticut, and he's relocated to Austin, Texas, where he's been for several years now. And uh, I want to hear the full story. So let's get into it with Jim Glinski. Hi, Jim. Eric Daw from the Fret Files podcast. How are you? Good. How you doing, Eric? Man, I'm doing great. Just uh, sitting in my basement recording a podcast. <laughs> Living your best life, right? <laughs> I'm trying. I do. I do what I can. You know. I don't know if it's yeah, the best life. Yeah. I had somebody. <laughs> I had somebody recently ask me. You know, a young guy who's kind of starting out asked me if he should get into guitar repair and guitar building, and I. I kind of thought, you know, maybe not, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a but tough I had one. somebody at the store today, same exact, like, this girl was picking up a repair, and she's like, oh, I heard you guys are shorthanded. You know, is it, you know, what's it like? You know, I'm like, well, number one, if you're looking to make money right now, don't do this. <laughs> yeah. And unless yeah. you have an insane passion and you're just a little bit crazy like the rest of us, then maybe you should follow it. But other than that, don't look for money because... Yeah. <laughs> And that's that's where I'm at with it. I mean, I I remember um, I heard an interview with T.J. Thompson. Do you know? Are you aware of T.J. Thompson? He's a a luthier. I know the name up in New England, yeah, but he. Yeah, I know that name. I'm originally from New England, so yeah. I know I know that name. He's kind of like he's like a vintage Martin specialist. He's like the guy. Yeah, you yep. know, you know, if you if you've got a pre-war Martin, you're going to send it to him. Well, he was giving a speech about how. Um, you know, even even him, right, who's like yeah. the top tier of the top tier of luthiers, sure. he's struggling. It's financially, yeah. it's a tough business, isn't it? Yeah. No, it really is. It's, you know, it's funny, and, you know, we can get more deeper into this, but, you know, I've done this my whole life, but I've never done it, like, you know, I would say I've been doing it almost 35 years. I've never done it for 35 years full time. There's been periods of time when it's been full time. But it's always been, you know, I call it a part-time job, but it's basically been like working two full-time jobs. I've always had to have something else going. And then something in life comes up, like, you know, you get married and you get a house and you get kids and you things that you're like, oh, I need the money. I need the security. You know what I mean? And it's just hard to crack into. And even here in Austin, which is one of the reasons we moved here, we've been here for about six years, it's, it's as, as concentrated as it is with musicians and as, as much work as there is. You know, it's like it only pays so much to do what you do, and there's only so much you can do in a day. You know sure. what I mean? So I, it's oh yeah, there's a ceiling on it. You know, so it really it's, is it's very difficult. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're obviously passionate about it. I'm curious to hear your origin story. I want to know how you got into this and why. What lit the fire under you? So for me, the biggest thing for me was in you know when I was probably about you know ten, eleven, twelve years old. 
you know, I started getting the music. My older sisters had tons of records. So I just started getting into music. And around the same time, I started, you know, uh, getting interested in just literally taking things apart. It, and yeah. it wasn't necessarily guitars yet, but it was just anything. My dad had tons of old radio equipment in the basement and uh, stereos and receivers and console TVs that were half taken apart. And my biggest accomplishment at a young age was taking an old receiver with an eight track deck and finding a speaker baffle with a speaker still connected to it and finding out that if I hook these two wires up to this thing, I get sound out of it. Oh you know? yeah. So it just, it kind of, that the gear started going that way. And around the same time, I just got interested in guitar and started playing guitar. Um, and I found that, you know, my, I, and I love playing guitar and I love music, but I found that my passion was more for the guitar itself, which I don't know if that makes sense, but it does to me. Yeah. Just, you know what it is and, and how it works. And it just fascinated me and learning how to play and everything. And, you know, I found that, you know, as I was, you know, kind of coming up with it, I'd take, you know, the cheap guitars that I had. And for some reason I'd spend half my time learning how to play songs and the other half of the time, you know, taking things apart and ripping into them and finding out how it works and why it works. And, you know, a lot of people ask me, you know, how did you learn how to do this? Because I, I wasn't fortunate enough to work under somebody as an apprentice or to learn from somebody that way. And my stock answer is, I messed up a lot of guitars. Yeah, <laughs> That's how sure. I figured out how to do this. Well, you know? and, and I think a lot of guys like us, because I, I started in the 90s, and uh, so, you know, maybe we're close to the same age, I don't know, but... Um, uh, Certainly, I uh, certainly I messed up my share of guitars. But back when we, back when you and I started doing this, there was very little information. I mean, you couldn't yeah. go, you couldn't go yeah. to a website. Uh, I don't know yep. if there were even any Luthery schools back then. There might have been. I don't. Not, well, at least not to my knowledge. And if they were, they were something that was not really directly related to guitar playing as we know it. It might've been Luthery, like with orchestra repair and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, I had, I had a few books, one by Hideo Kamamoto and another one by, uh, Dan Erlewine that was basically a brand new book at the time. But, um, and that was about it. That was like all I had for, uh, knowledge on how to repair and how guitars worked and what the science yeah. behind them was. And so much of it was a mystery and so much of it was a learning curve where I feel like if somebody were getting into this business today, the path I think would be a lot smoother. There'd be a, I think so. A lot. I think so. I, it's funny. I think about, and I probably have the same exact books that you had, you know, and I know one of those, uh, Dan early one books, the, um, I know the one about refretting. I still, there's still stuff that I do today based off of what I read in that book, even sure. though yeah. there's probably, you know, different methods or quicker methods or other ways, you know, but I just kind of like it's ingrained in, in my head, but I totally agree because especially with, and I'll admit it, I use YouTube myself, not so much as a learning tool, like how do I do this? But I'm, I'm const- I'm very curious as to how people do things in a different way. Um, you know, and how things are done, you know, because I'm so kind of ingrained in how I learned and what I figured works best for me, I want to learn. So if somebody was going to start out new, like you're saying, I think the path to that, of course, you know, you have to take that with a grain of salt. Be careful because there's a, there's a lot of, you know, garbage out there too, that you can come across There is, and isn't such good advice. But you know, if you, if you look at it enough, 
um, there's, there's things in there that you can learn and, and find a quicker path and kind of get into it quicker and easier. Plus, like you had mentioned before, there wasn't probably, you know, too many schools back then. There's tons of places you can go to if you want to take that path as a younger person to, to get into it, to go and learn something from a school and then, you know, hopefully land a, a job somewhere to kind of get into it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, the information that you and I had to come by was so hard fought and and yeah. it required yeah. it required a passion. There was yeah. no other oh, way. Absolutely. You yeah. Know, it wasn't something and, you and were like going said, to luck into. And I said, you know, like I say, I messed up a lot of guitars. It's it's from that. You know, it's like I went through it and it's like, you know, you go through something and you learn how to do something. It's like, all right, well, I'm gonna free fret a guitar, you know. I'd get some cheap guitar and I'd, I'd rip the frets out. And, and right off the bat, I've already screwed it up because I've ripped the frets out in a way that's, that's done so much damage to the fret hoard that it was going to take me a bunch of time. But I'd go through it and still put frets in and the fret slots are too wide and frets are popping out. And, yeah. You know, it's just you, you, you kind of you, you have to have that passion because if you don't, I mean, any sane person would be driven away from it, you know? Sure. Yeah, it's so fun for me. You know, you mentioned seeing things on YouTube and trying to stay in touch with how other people, uh, what their techniques are and how they might differ from yours. I've learned so much because this field has opened up so much and because of the Internet. I've learned so much. And I, you know, I have my traditional ways and the ways that I've learned and the ways that maybe others have taught me and ways that I've taught myself how to do things. But it's always fascinating to find a new way to do something like for oh, yeah. example for 20 years probably uh i only fretted with a fret hammer i i yeah I, that's I the only way i did the it same thing i think i went through the same thing yeah and then i got an i got an arbor press yep after mm-hmm. seeing i think i just saw a video on i don't know probably youtube of somebody fretting with an arbor press and i thought i'm going to try that and i'll tell you mm-hmm. what i love it I very yeah, game changer. Yeah. yeah, it is. I very rarely fret with a hammer anymore. I almost always yeah. use the Arbor Press now, but I know how to do both. And yep. uh sometimes you can't get like on an acoustic guitar, you can't get the fret yeah. arbor on those uh frets that are up uh sure. on, on the extension. So Yep. It's good to know all kinds of techniques, but I've learned a lot, and that's one of the cool things about this industry and this profession is uh, really, if you've got a hunger for it and a passion for it, you can learn forever. You never stop learning. Yeah, well, 100%. There's no way that you could possibly, and I think if you limit yourself to that, to like, hey, I've gotten to a point where I've learned stuff, you have to constantly have that open mind. And I think that goes along with the passion as well, is just knowing that there's more to learn. And I think it's the thirst for that knowledge that's a big part of that passion. You know, like I... I don't, I don't know if you remember of the Luth group or if you've heard of the Luth group. Yeah. There was, uh, I just joined and, and I just started peeking around on it and, uh, I got, I wish I could remember her name, but there was a, um, a Luthier on there who had, she posted a video about doing a, um, a headstock repair on an older Martin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all know how we do headstock repairs and what's involved. Is it cosmetic or non-cosmetic? Are you just doing structural or whatever? But she had laid in carbon fiber. And the way she did it, and she actually routed down the thickness of the carbon fiber sheets she was going to use, made a jig. I mean, it's something that I would have never conceived of. I could have never thought of it in this way. And she laid in the carbon fiber and then talked about the fact that some people might look like the look of the carbon fiber. But since this was a vintage Martin guitar, she then 
went on to the next part, which was completely artistic and another huge part of this field, which was painting to match the grain and the mahogany. Oh yeah. And it was just, it was just, it was just such a beautiful process. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking if I were ever to try this and someday I do want to try that, like there's no way on those, you know, I'm not going to make money on this, you know, but it's beyond that. It's how can I do this repair? It's going to be structurally strong and viable and but it's it's going to have this artistic side to it that there's carbon fiber in there a totally modern new way of doing this yeah that looks completely vintage and old and it was just amazing to watch that you know that's so cool and people like that who are able to do things in such an artistic way uh can command higher prices they you know absolutely uh the better you are the the more you can charge and the um the uh, wider your client base will be. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think too, like, you know, down here in Austin, you know, there's such a man, there's, there's such a historic kind of past when it comes to the luthiers and techs that, you know, we've had in this town and it's getting to a point now, you know, we're talking before about, you know, younger people getting into it and whether they should or they shouldn't, you know, there's, there seems to be, there's, there's like no shortage of work around here. And a lot of the, the, say the traditional type text that everybody knows that everybody went to, they seem to be retiring, you know, or moving out and they're, they're kind of pat, trying to pass it along, whatever. Um, and it's just amazing, like to be a part of that and see that happening, but yet it's almost scary in a way because it's kind of leaving a quick void because I think they were all basically around the same age. There's, you know, we had, uh, 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 a luthier here. He's still in town. Dick Dubois. He's been the Martin guy in Austin. He was, mm-hmm. he was the only guy that was certified to do Martin warranty work. If you had anything that had to be done Martin wise, he was the guy to go to. And I believe he probably still takes a few regular clients here and there, but he's basically retired. Um, and you know, now that's kind of moved on to straight music where I'm just wrapping up working at now as repair manager. Um, you know, we actually got Martin certified. It opened the door for other people to do it, but you know, there's such a rich history of it, you know, and these guys that were all kind of, you know, they have their eccentric ways. And the guy that I do overflow work for, um, Mark Irwine, who's Dan's cousin in town, you know, you talk about like skill and talent and he's, he's got the skill and talent, but he's also had the, the to work with people like Billy Gibbons. Sure. And, you know, he's just, you know, he works on, you know, trigger, he works on Willie Nelson's guitar. So, you know, when you get that and you have the artisticness, that that goes along with that. I think I just made up a word, but when you have all that together, you're right. You can basically charge what you want. And it's amazing to watch. You know, I think when I, you know, would first start working with Mark, you know, he would start talking about pricing and he's just like, they just charge me whatever you charge, which I've never had that with anybody because when I did overflow, overflow work for people, we would come up with a rate and what's fair. And, you know, you got the work I'm doing it. And, but you know, he could do that because he had all the skills to back that up and he had the name recognition as well. You know? Yeah. Yeah, you can command higher prices with higher skill, but there's still there's still kind of a ceiling. You can only work on one guitar at a time. That's what I mean. You can only yeah. do so much in a day, you know. <clears throat> I find it and hard. It's hard too. Yeah, I find it hard to balance because I I have this customer client base for repairs that I hate to lose, so I maintain that. But I really yeah. want to I really want to get more into building, but the repair workload that I have kind of gets in the way of that. So it's a, it's yeah, a difficult yeah. balance, you know? Yeah, no, it is. Are you, it is. And it's, 
it, it doesn't matter how successful you can be. Like you said, there's only so much you can do in a day. Yeah. And that's kind of what I've run into now going into this and spending hundred percent of my time at my shop versus, you know, working full time as a repair manager at straight music and then doing it, you know, every night and every weekend is that you have to, it's like, okay, great. So I can do this full time now. Well, I still feel like I'm probably going to be working every night yeah. and every weekend. And there's still only a certain amount you can do. So yeah. you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And you still need a life, you know? Yeah. You right. Can't, right. You, you can't sleep if you, in your if you show. you watch that out, you're going to be miserable. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, it certainly makes those around you miserable too. Like, Oh yeah. You know, so, um, I'm curious, what do you, uh, do you consider yourself specializing in anything in particular, acoustic or electric or, uh, pickups or what do you, do you have specialties? I, I, I haven't at all. I think more recently, and I would say since, since I've moved down here to Austin, um, what I seem to have fallen into doing a lot of, and what I feel like I'm, I'm loving is fret work. It seems like there just yeah. seems to be an overabundance of fret work down here. Yeah. Um, and I find that not only do I really like doing that, but it just, I feel like I've fallen into a groove with that. You know, most of the work I do is fret work. You know, I do a lot of, you know, setup work and stuff like that. And there's also a lot of electronics work. Um, but I still do, you know, I do, you know, all acoustic repairs, you know, neck resets, uh, neck resets and, and heavy duty acoustic stuff. I'm more than willing to get into as far as neck resets, I pretty much stick to like Gibsons and Martins and maybe Guilds. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I have the curiosity for getting into stuff that I'm not sure how that neck's in there, but you know, with workload being what it is, I don't know how much I want to get into that and tied into that. You know what I mean? So yeah. I'm the same I, way. I stick, yeah. I stick to the major players cause like, I know it, I know like an old Martin, you know, I, I staring right here at a 46, um, 015 that I'm going to be doing a restoration on. Yeah. I know exactly the game plan. I know what I have to do. I know what I have to do first, you know, and I know what order I have to go in. Yeah. I know what I'm going to find when I get into it, you know, and I know it's never been touched before. So yeah. that make, that's kind of like my comfort zone is, is knowing that, you know? So I would say, you know, in general, like, you know, probably fret work, you know, if I, if I had to pick one thing to do guitar repair wise, just as like, I would do that all day, it would probably probably be fret work. I, I love electronics work too. I love diagnosing and I love different challenges when it comes to that too. Um, but I think fret works where I would fall into mm. as far as a, if, if I had to pick a specialty. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Have you noticed, uh, you know, in the 30 plus years uh, of your career of repairing guitars, have you noticed industry changes like changes in the way things are done or changes in the tools or supplies what what have you noticed that has, has changed in this in industry i think for me personally and, and i don't know if this is a personal thing or if it's an actual industry change it's just the difference in tools and and well first of all you know yeah there was a stumac back when i started i, I think so or it might have been maybe around the time i started so there were some specialized tools and things you could find but when i started out you know most of the things that i would have to use you know I'd have to make stuff, you know, and I would have yeah. to make things that would fit. Like, like for, I'm just thinking off the top of my head for like an example, like if you're going to do a refret, you know, and you want to put a little chamfer edge on the fret slots when you had a bound fingerboard, like, well, you can't just use a triangle shaped file and kind of go through it. So you'd have to take some kind of file that would work good and teeth that cut the way you want and then grind each side smooth 
So you had a short section of file that would kind of cover that, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think fret tang nippers and things like that, that you kind of take for granted now. And to tell you the truth, I don't even know when the, the advent of the fret tang nippers came out, but for me, it was just cutting the tangs and filing them flat and smooth. And, yeah. you know, it's just things like that, that I see as the industry standard. And I think that kind of goes along too, with you saying how it's a bit easier for people to start out now you don't have to learn about how to make the tools, although there still are some things that you, you kind of do and fabricate yourself. But yeah. I think tools like that, I think, help out enormously. You know what I mean? They Just do. the different kinds of, oh, the different kinds of fret files and the dressing files they have now. And I know Sumac, and there's tons of stuff I haven't tried, like the Z files, and yeah. I've heard great things. And, yeah. you know, there's tons of, it's not only that it exists, but there's tons of options available, you know, and that kind of stuff just, at least, like I said, from my maybe my narrow beginnings, I just had to figure out what to use and what to work with. And, you know, basically looking at my, you know, Stu MacBooks and what they would recommend, you know, mm-hmm. if I had some extra money, I could buy a tool, you know. Yeah. But I usually had to fabricate whatever it is I needed at that time. You yeah. Know? Stuart McDonald has been around for a long time. They mm-hmm. are, you know, I think of them predominantly as a website now. But I remember before they had a website, it was all catalog. And you could get. Yeah, I remember this. I do. Yeah. You could get an education just by going through their catalog and seeing, oh, that's how you do that. Oh, this is the tool that you use for that. Mm -hmm. It's interesting stuff. And that's how you learn. You can learn from just looking in the book. You know what I mean? And being like, wow, that's interesting. You know, I could try that. Or, and, you know, they've always been informative in that way. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's been a, I, you know, I, I, your people either love or hate to do Mac, you know, like, oh, too, too expensive and this and that. But I'll tell you, I've had stuff that's like, you know, things have broken or whatever. They've hooked me up. Oh, we'll replace it. No yeah. problem. Oh, they're great. And yeah, and the stuff they make, I think, is really great. You know, I mean, there's some things that I, I look at and I feel like well, I probably don't have use for that. There's things that they come out with every now and then that I'm like, man, I got to try that. I think that's, you know, I think that could, that could be better. That could help, you know. They're great. And it's, and you know, the field is narrowing. I don't know if you've heard this, but LMI is going out of business. Yes. Luthier's yep. Mercantile. Yep. I saw and, that. And boy, I know that's it, been a staple for me for a long time. And I was oh, kind of, yeah. I guess not shocked. I just don't know. I guess in a company like that, I, I don't know what the game plan is. I don't know if there's family to leave it to, if it's owned by a board of directors. I don't, I don't know what the deal is and how it goes out, but I just I kind of find it jarring that it's just like, We'll be closing our doors, you know? Yeah. Well, and I mean, maybe they, they might not admit this, but maybe it just wasn't that lucrative to begin with. That's true. <laughs> That's true, you know? And I mean, if you think about it, how much space is there in that industry with Stu Mac yeah. taking up the, 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 obviously the lead and the yeah. bigger part of that, how much space can there be for yeah. another company, you know? And I know they, they, they were, you know, they kind of did it in a different way but it was ultimately the same kind of thing you know what i mean so yeah. it's it very well could be a possibility and there's other companies like all parts and uh you mm-hmm. know wd and they they sell some tools and a lot of supplies um so there's others in in the industry I, i've recently i've been shopping with philadelphia luthier supply and they i've used them from they've time got to time. some mm-hmm. good they've got great prices on some really yeah. good tools they it seems to me that they're carrying more Japanese stuff than Stuart McDonald. Yeah. And some of the yep. Japanese tools, like the Japanese fret files and Japanese yep. saws, oh, they're great. They're really good. Yeah, no, they are. They feel like they're more accurate. And I don't, I'm not saying that to hang on anybody else, but it just seems like 
there's something about those, especially like the, the, the fretting saws, just they cut cleaner the way they draw. I don't know. There's just something about them that just feels really good. Yeah. You know? Well, the Japanese have a tradition working with steel that goes back, you know, mm-hmm. centuries. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. there's, there's something to that. But um, yeah, just yeah. very good quality stuff. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, so you've you've been with Straight Music and uh, yeah. also you've been with Sam Ash. Why don't you tell us kind of your career path? So I, what happened for me was, is I started, you know, like I said, you know, in the 80s, I kind of just started taking things apart. And, you know, I graduated from high school around 89 and I started, you know, I, I obviously was taking care of my own stuff. It's, it's kind of the same old story. And then friends would be like, hey, would you set up my guitar? Would you do this? And, you know, it started to bleed into electronic stuff and things like that. So around 90 or 91, I just started um unofficially that's when i unofficially started my business and i just started taking things in um i did that for quite a long time you know and i i of course had a day gig always had a day job my day jobs were always centered around production and manufacturing i worked in a lot of machine shops and stuff so that was definitely not planned but definitely helped me get to where i am today sure as far as yeah. You know, just diagnosing things and knowing, you know, just even measuring and doing quality control and things like that. Um, and then I worked, um, it got to be where I opened up a small shop inside uh, RVP Studios uh, in New Haven, Connecticut, which was a small rehearsal studio that they also had a bunch of lesson rooms. And the owners were gracious enough to give me a small space in their office space. And they charged me real cheap rent. I think it was like 200 bucks a month to be able to, to run a shop out of there. The, the disadvantage of that was I was literally in their office space. So I really couldn't do anything dirty. So, you know, I could do some quick tweaks and maybe some setup work there, but I had to bring everything home to work sure. on. That was going to be any, you know, anything more than a setup like nuts and stuff like that. I had to come home. So I did that for, geez, I did that for, I think that carried on for a while. Even after I was working at Sam Ash, I was still doing that for a bit, but around 2014, um, company that I was working for doing production was moving to Houston and I was in Connecticut at the time. And, um, I was not interested in moving to Houston. So I went and a friend of mine worked at Sam Ash and said that their luthier who had been there for about 30 years, he was there before it was the Sam Ash was leaving. And I kind of went in there and I, I worked there for about four years. And I'll tell you, that was a great experience. And I, I think where I fall short is that I didn't get to work with anybody as far as, you know, men- a mentor, like working with somebody, uh-huh. but I've had many different kinds of repair jobs and, and people really should understand there's a really a difference between a repair shop and a full line music store that has a repair shop, yeah. you know, and neither one is, is better. It's just that when you work in a full line music store that has a repair shop, you're going to work on a lot of guitars. Oh There's yeah. Very high volume. And it's everything under the sun, you know? So, I did that for four years. That was a really good experience as far as kind of like that kind of workflow. You know, you get, you learn to do a lot of different things by default, but you know, like I said, you're passing things through and you're not just working on, you know, old fenders and Gibsons, you're working on squires and Epiphones and, you know, guitars are even cheaper than that. And, you know, there's, I used to be frustrated by that, but there's a certain satisfaction. You get a certain kind of customer that when, when, you know, they come to you upset because something isn't right and you put it back in their hands and it's right, 
Yeah. And you can see that, you know what I mean? It's there's, there's a sure. certain satisfaction that goes along with that, you know? Yeah. And that's hard to be learned, you know, when you work for like a shop that's just doing, you know, um, restorations and, you know, uh, you know, insurance claims and things like that for, for more high end vintage guitars or newer high end guitars. Yeah. Um, but I did that for like four years and then they, um, you know, I, I, I wanted more money and I, I just, I couldn't do it through Sam Ash, you know, because, because of what they are and the kind of service that they're offering that I don't blame them. They're not going to pay a high end tech, you know? Yeah. So I had a friend of mine that would lived in Austin, Texas, and, uh, we, I had visited a few times and me and my wife loved it down here. And we always wanted to move someplace warmer. And we thought like, you know, someday this could be a possibility, you know, and, a year later, he called me. He said, "Hey, man, I might have a gig for you. There's a, a place called Guitar Resurrection, which was a staple in uh, Austin. And actually, he just closed up. Oh, really? Jim Lehman. He he hired me sight unseen. Um, he talked to him on the phone for about an hour, and you know, he said, "Yeah." He says, "If you want the job, come on down here." Now, he wasn't looking for a tech at the time. You know, I think he had kind of gotten out of that part of his business. He was just selling guitars and. Uh, you know, I kind of talked him into it, you know, and so he, I went down there, he kind of saw what I could do and he kind of came around to it. Cool. And I did that for two years, you know, and I mm-hmm. actually, um, ended up leaving there to start this, what I'm doing now. And this was in 2020 in oh, January. Yeah. And <laughs> so I, I actually gave my notice. I gave him a couple of months and in that interim, uh, I ended up having an opportunity to work another production job that was a very high paid job that I ended up going for. Um, and it was, I just immediately regretted it. It wasn't a good fit. Um, but the good thing about that was, is while doing that for about a year, I came across the uh, opportunity to work for straight music. I saw a job posting for a repair shop manager. So I figured, wow, it's kind of best of both worlds. I got my production world and I have the the music guitar, you know, tech world. And it's been a great experience there. It really has. They have, um, they have like six band and orchestra techs or band and woodwind techs. They have one orchestra tech, an electronics tech, um, three guitar techs at one time. Then it went down to two and then to one. Now we have two again. Um, and it's, it's been, for me personally, it's been amazing to work with all those techs. And because I could never wrap my head around what it's like for a brass tech, you know, someone that's going to work on a tuba or a trumpet <laughs> yeah. or a trombone. And it's, it's similar in ways, but it's completely foreign in other sure. ways. And it's just been really, I've learned a lot of oh, I what bet. I can do and how I can do things by watching the different ways that different instrument repair as it goes. And it's, it's just been a great experience. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and it was a tough, it was a tough decision for me to leave there. You know, I didn't want to leave. I, uh, but you know, I figured, you know, it's, I'm turning work away and like I told you before, I'm starting to come home and resent having all this extra work to do. So I considered pulling back and then I said, well, why would I pull back on the thing that I love? I might as well flip it and just turn that into the thing that I can do full time. And there's, yeah. like I said, there's plenty of work. Um, I've, I'm already about five weeks behind in what I have. So yeah. it's a good problem to have, but it's something that I want to try to keep on top of as well. You know? Sure. So you're leaving straight music and you're going out on your own and that's, yeah. that's happening yep. like this month. It's actually, so it's actually, yeah, by, by the first, when this airs, uh, I will be going, I will be done. My last day is actually on the 31st. So, um, Very bittersweet, cool. it's tough leaving there. I've had some great yeah. experiences. It's a, they started in 1963, three generations, um, 
of straights running the company and it's just a fabulous just often stable great place to work they just moved one of their stores to a new location in south Austin. it's just it's it's been good to be a part of that whole process you know yeah. it was a tough thing to give up but it was a sacrifice that i want to make just yeah. to be able to to do exactly like you said what i'm passionate about you know yeah so going out on your own is is there a way people in the austin area or, or even outside the austin area who uh, want to get in touch with you who might have some work for you is there a way they can get in touch with you yeah, you can. There's a couple different ways. I'm on Instagram. It's at glinskycustoms.com, and that's G L I N S K Y customs.com. That's my lots well, my website actually, but it's at Glinsky Customs for Instagram. You can go on Facebook and search for Glinsky Customs. I'm on there as well, and all my contact information is on there. Um, and you know, the, there's a few shops in town. Everybody works well together here, so everybody kind of like when people get backed up, and they don't want to take work, they refer to other people. So Sure. You know, there's tons of shops in town that, that we kind of stick together with. But uh, if yeah. you wanted me to do something in your local or you wanted to say, I still do work for clients in Connecticut. I have clients in Connecticut that uh, I've kept with me for the last six years that will send me stuff to work on. So yeah. I'd be willing to take work from just about anywhere in the country. Very cool, Jim. Well, yeah. I, I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And, Thank uh, you so much for having me. It was, uh, it's, I feel like it's an honor. You know, I think I told you before, I get down on the bench and start working. And then, you know, I, every time I look and I'm like, is it the first or the 15th? Can I get Eric on here? So uh, it kind of keeps me moving. Right you know? on. Uh, thanks for listening. That's cool. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. But stay in touch. Sure. Yeah, no, I absolutely will. Okay. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Eric. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Well, that does it for this episode of the Fret Files podcast. If you want to participate in the show, you can go to my website, ericdaw.com, click the contact link, and submit your question or comment there. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.